0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Podcast Network. Find all of our shows at Wear Libertarians.com. Before we start, I want to thank all of the Weird Libertarians patrons for being a part of the show. You can find out all of the benefits of subscribing on Patreon at joinwallplus.com. That's W-A-L Plus.com. You'll get bonus content, access to the complete archives. There's over a thousand shows that you can't get in the public feed, and you'll be supporting all of our great shows. Thank you especially to our $100 a month members. John Pusilo, Vincent Peichel, Lars Nordskog, Jake Edel, Matthew Durbin, Reinhold, Christy Avery, and Jason Doolittle. We also want to thank our main sponsor for this episode. Uh, it is Iconic Insurance. 15% of Americans are left to find health insurance on their own, and even if you get health insurance from your employer that doesn't work for you, Matt Allen and Iconic Insurance can help you find the right insurance. Just head over right now and contact him at iconic-insurance.com libertarians. We'll put the link in the description if you can't remember that, but Matt is a longtime listener of this program and a great guy and a good friend of mine, so please go support him and reach out right now. Thank you, and now let's get started with our show. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. Thank you so much for being here. We are so glad to have you joining us. And today we're going to be talking about uh, environmental stuff, uh, environmental regulations, and Joe Biden's recent... I'm going to ask my uh, expert guest, Jacob Puckett, because I am not an expert in anything. If you listen to this show, then you know I'm here talking to smart people. Uh, I'm an expert in podcasting, and that's about it, and I'm marginal at best. Uh, so my guest today is Jacob Puckett, who is an energy analyst and a Young Voices contributor, and uh, we always love talking to all these great Young Voices contributors. They always have so many interesting, like, you Young Voices contributors, you, you're you're really smart, you're all very personable, uh, and you write about stuff that nobody else in the news is talking about like if you only watch the news or kind of scroll your facebook feed jacob it's just roe v wade but you know you you sent me your article uh about coming on and you know i don't even know what the national environmental policy act is and i knew there was some sort of climate emergency you know how it us a little bit about yourself and how did you get into policy work and how do you find what you write about
1: well, good afternoon, Chris. Thanks for having me on the show. And um, yeah, I, I got into this, I would like to think very carefully. Um, but as one does, uh, yes. I've, I've, <laughs> I've always been interested in uh, the policy side of um, energy production or environmental protection. And you know, th- those two often overlap uh, in great measure. And um, yeah, if, if you look, about one step behind the news. There's all sorts of stuff going on, like you mentioned, that might not be front page or ticker at the bottom of the screen screaming at you in the headlines. But these are things that have been going on behind the scenes for years. Uh, and, and they take a long time to work themselves out. So there are lots of different policies. Um, uh, the one that you mentioned, um, the Inflation Reduction Act, or as it's, as it's now called, whether or it not used to it be Build
0: Back Better, and then they just changed the name, yeah. and it's the same thing.
1: More or less, yeah. Whether it will reduce inflation in any meaningful way uh, is to be determined. But let me just go ahead difficult.
0: and answer for you. Absolutely not. It will not. It will <laughs> do the opposite. But go ahead. You're a neutral journalist. I'm not. <laughs>
1: So in this, uh, like you said, it's it's basically the Build Back Better redux, just a little bit pared down from what the president could not get through Congress last year, um, and essentially is what um, Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia has agreed to. And in terms of energy policy, in my opinion, this is largely bad news. And there are a couple reasons for that. Uh, The first reason is it would extend massive subsidies uh, specifically for wind and solar technology. Now, I have nothing against these technologies. They're great. They're innovative. And if we can produce energy in a way that has has, uh, as minimal an environmental impact as possible, I'm all for it. But these are also mature technologies that have been around for decades. These tax credits and these subsidies have been around for 30 years now. These are mature technologies. They don't need continual handouts and support uh, to continue to keep growing the way that they have.
0: Yeah, that so a lot of what is in the Inflation Reduction Act is, is what is it just describe a handout? If you've got a couple examples for folks who maybe aren't familiar with how congressional funding and these big omnibus bills work, what, what does that look like?
1: Sure. So specifically uh, with wind and solar, we'll we'll just pick wind for an example. It it is a beneficiary of what is called the production tax credit. So for each megawatt hour of electricity that it produces, it will receive uh, a certain tax credit that's set congressionally. Uh, It'll decline over the years, um, but it's still a fairly large amount. And what that does is um, it's it's obviously an incentive to get this tax credit. But if I, I think the levels right now are around uh, $20 per megawatt hour. So when prices for electricity drop below $20 per megawatt hour, as they sometimes do in certain conditions, uh, that means that these companies can essentially run losses and still be making a profit from the subsidy. Uh, that's not good. It's, it turns the market into... Uh, all sorts of a wacky dynamic. And we've seen problems with that um, throughout the country over the past couple of years. And this shouldn't be continuing.
0: Yeah. So in other words, when I hear tax break or tax cut, or I'm, I'm all for a business not having to pay more taxes, because that means they can hire more employees. But what you're saying in this case, we're artificially carrying these businesses along. And at some point, the money has to run out, or will run out, um, and it has to be viable on its own. Uh, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, wind and solar are sort of the favorites, but they, they can't be part of the total solution, which is, in my opinion, nuclear. I know I don't know if you saw that, I think it was yesterday, there was a, an approval for a small nuclear reactor and there's some nuclear technology. Does, is there anything in here that might address you know, helping that along and some of the stuff that like Purdue University is doing in terms of small neighborhood reactors?
1: So the key uh, with this type of policy is to create a level playing field for all sorts of generation technologies that can be. That could be wind, that could be nuclear. Uh, like you is just that mentioned. your goal or is that their goal? Uh that that is the goal that I would like okay. to see. I, I think that's the best way forward. Uh unfortunately I'm not in Congress. So that that is uh two two different goals. Um Well, you're not
0: 97 and you seem smart. So we can't have you in Congress. Thanks. Uh yeah, I mean you'd like to see a level playing field and and so it does it doesn't sound like that's necessarily the case with this.
1: Mhm. Right. And you're right Chris, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission did uh it's a big first step finally grant A company called NuScale to create America's first uh, small modular nuclear reactor. It'll be, it should be online in 2029. So seven years from now, these things take time to build. You got to go through uh, all sorts of other uh, permitting processes to get that approval. But it's it's a big step because this is the future of nuclear generation, uh, nuclear power. Um, not just in America, but across the world. And we've been behind the ball on this for several years now. Uh, Numerous other countries have been taking these pared down, scaled back nuclear reactors compared to the nuclear power plants that we're used to hearing about from last generation. And they've got all sorts of beneficial attributes. Uh, They're safer, they're cheaper. And because they're more modular They can be put in places where, you know, you might need more power, but you don't need so much that you'd have to build a huge traditional nuclear power plant. Um, So I'm I'm not familiar with the Purdue study that you mentioned about neighborhood reactors, but that's a great example where if you have huge population growth in one area and you need more electricity, this is a great way um, to start adding that extra energy that you need. And if that area continues to grow, well, guess what? Just build another one, yeah. and that way you can get you know, cleaner electricity just you know, continually, incrementally throughout time.
0: You talk in the article about one of the obstacles being regulation and local grids, and I hear this a little bit. I'm, I have a friend who works in the energy sector, and they're like, "Ah, oh, we can't have electric cars, and there's solar flares coming, and and I didn't really understand what, uh, what he meant, but is there a problem with our electric grid that needs to be fixed, and that is a hurdle? Like... Can you fill us in on that? You know, scare, sure. scare us, please. Sure.
1: Yeah, scare you. Sure. <laughs> so the one of the main obstacles um, or challenges, we'll say challenges, is as more things throughout the economy become electrified, you need more transmission and distribution infrastructure to get the electricity from the power plant to where uh, it's being used. So for instance, if you had a city where, most of the buildings were heated by natural gas in the winter. Now they're converting over to heat pumps. You've completely changed the fuel source, so you need to be able to replace all of the power that you were, were getting from natural gas with electricity. Um, same with uh, same concept with electric vehicles. You're you're no longer using gasoline; you're using electricity. So you have a large increase in electric demand um, that might be rising faster than. The, um, the transmission and distribution power lines uh, capacity to be able to meet that demand. Um, and that's where you get into challenges with things like the uh, National Environmental Protection Act, National Environmental Policy Act. Um, it's, it's a law from about 50 years ago where it says you have to have a certain level of environmental impact review for large projects. It's, it's not just related to only energy infrastructure, but that definitely falls underneath it. And ironically, what it's become over time is a way for environmentalist groups to block building of any kind, whether that's uh, more transmission lines to carry uh, increased carbon-free electricity, or um, just even building clean electricity power plants themselves there are there are more than twice as many clean energy power plants that are held up under the NEPA reviews than there are fossil fuel plants right now. so in in kind of a ironic twist of fate, it's stifling the very thing that it was supposed to help. You know, we always talk about,, as I
0: always say, libertarians of uh, I don't know if you're a libertarian, I am. You seem like a free market type guy um we can sometimes be all change and no hope we don't talk a lot about solutions so when you're looking at the future in terms of energy policy joe biden well let me ask this first before we talk solutions because i want to keep criticizing joe biden it feels so nice when he wants to enact a climate emergency and enact you know, when Trump in, introduced for the first time since World War II the National Defense Production Act for ventilators, which we ended up not needing, and commandeering uh, businesses to make those, you knew that was the beginning of a, a precedent that every president from here on out will enact. Joe Biden has been no different in that. How has he used that act, and what does it mean when he he declares a state of emergency over the
1: climate? The Defense Production Act is... A very bad way to advance your policy. Uh, Usage of the DPA is very fickle, and it varies quickly from administration to administration. So in addition to what you just mentioned from uh, President Trump uh, using the DPA for ventilators, he also considered using that same law uh, to bail out coal plants. Now, he ultimately didn't do it, But the fact that he was even considering that shows you just how broadly this can be applied and and just swaying back and forth really quickly in in, in a couple years. And this this law is supposed to be used for true emergencies. We're talking, um, you know, we're in a war or something like that, not as a way to push through uh, your policy that Congress didn't want to support. So uh, President Biden has now used the Defense Produc- Defense Production Act a couple times um, to boost or to attempt to boost mining for rare earth minerals. Uh, th- these are materials that are very important for making things like uh, battery storage, whether that's for backing up a power plant or putting it in an electric vehicle uh, or things like solar panels. Now, the really ironic part about how he's using it is that the same Biden administration is making it harder to mine those very rare earth minerals through lots of environmental hurdles. And he's now trying to subsidize the very things he's making it harder to produce. So it almost seems like the administration's left hand does not know what its far left hand is doing, to to paraphrase Ronald Reagan. Mm -hmm. But the DPA, in short, is a bad way uh, to try to advance your goals.
0: So what are some solutions? I mean, you mentioned in the article, there's no shortage of free market uh, solutions or businesses that want to get involved in the green sector. Uh, do we need government you know, to solve the climate crisis? Some would say we need a carbon tax. Elon Musk in the past said on 60 Minutes, it's the only way. Uh, do you agree with that? Like, Or what, what can we do to help mitigate it?
1: So here's what I'll say. What we need the government to do in this situation is to create a level playing field and clear out unnecessary obstacles. There is lots of private capital that is just looking for some environmentally sound investments. And it's way more than just wind and solar. That's nuclear power. That's hydropower. That's carbon capture and storage. There, there really is no limit um, to, to what we could invent in the future Uh, to deal with reducing emissions from the energy sector. What we have right now is what we know, but some of these things didn't exist 20 years ago. Now we have them. Who knows what what 2040 will look like? Um, But we need to, um, for instance, to take nuclear power as an example. The licensing regime for um, building and uh, starting up a traditional nuclear power plant is trying to take the new the, the new technology, the small reactors, and, and shoehorn it into the same regulatory process and review for the old nuclear power generator.
0: Which we haven't had a new generator since the seventies,
1: I believe, right? Since the seventies, yeah. So it's fifty years out of date already, and it's a, a different type of technology. They work differently, and you shouldn't be trying to uh, make these two things overlap that aren't really in the same category. So you need to uh, update those rules, and then you can get more uh, small nuclear reactors like New Scale will be doing out in Idaho over the next few years. Um, And then hydropower as well. There are a lot of dams that um, their licenses are coming up on the end of their useful life within the next couple years. But ironically, it takes longer to relicense a hydroelectric dam than it does to license a completely new hydroelectric dam. So it's a complete misalignment of priorities. We need to keep these dams online because they've been working for the past 50 years. We don't need to get rid of them. Uh, And we need to make it easier to bring more hydroelectric dams online. There are over 80,000 dams in the U.S., but only 3% of them are outfitted with the technology to produce electricity. There's a huge opportunity there. And I I find it hard to believe that uh, if the obstacles weren't taken away, private capital would not step in uh, and see this as an opportunity.
0: All right, Jacob Puckett, shameless self-promotion time. Tell us where the people can follow your work and read more of what you do.
1: You can find me on Twitter at Jacob R. Puckett. That's Jacob with a K. Uh, and you can also follow me on Muckrack. Just search for my name there as well. You'll see all my ratings. All right, great. Jacob,
0: thank you so much for being here. Thank you, listener, for being a part of the show. If you learned something, then please share it with your friends. That is the best way to help any podcast grow. So we really appreciate your time, and we will see you again soon.